Welcome to the C3 Eastern Suburbs podcast. We're glad to have you tune in today and hope this message blesses you. If you'd like to visit, we meet in Glen Innes, Auckland on Sundays at 10am. You can also find us on www.c3easternsuburbs.org.nz. Enjoy the message. Cool. They're amazing people. So I am Jade Membry. Um, my husband is Trent Membry. We have been in this church for, as I said, about 13 years now. I think 12 years, 13 years. I'm not sure you start to lose count, don't you? <laughs> but, um, but we've been in C3 Auckland. We've uh, looked after the kids' church there. We've looked after welcome teams there. We've been on uh, cafe there. We've run the intermediate there. We've uh, led campuses, and now we've just gone and planted a church up in Whangarei, uh, led by God, called by God, holding on for dear life, going, what are we doing up in Whangarei? <laughs> but it's amazing what's happening. So um, so that's what we're doing at the moment. We're, we're uh, leading a campus up there, and it's an incredible, incredible thing to be doing. God has really gone ahead of us, and um, he's just prepared the way. We really are just walking the path that he's set out for us and, um, and being as obedient as we, well, we're, we're being obedient, not as obedient as we still can. We're being fully obedient. We're very, very submitted. Um, you, you need to be when you're doing this thing, as you guys would know, and all of those who have been here from the start. So, um, so that's what we're doing. We have two little girls, Akela and Ella. They are 13 and 11 years old, and we do have one on the way. You can announce it. I'm seven months pregnant, so the cat's out of the bag. <laughs> So that's what we're doing. We are committed to God's kingdom. We're committed to God's call. But I haven't always been. I haven't always been in that environment. You know, I came from good roots, but I did find myself totally off the rails and a long, long, long way away from God. But the thing is, and what I'm here to share with you today, is that I am living proof. I am living proof that there is a God who is in the business of doing miracles and transforming lives. You know, I'm unique in how I'm created and wired, but there is absolutely nothing special or different about me. You know, if he can take my life and turn it around, he can do it for anybody. If he can bring me into this, into his truth and love, he can do it for you and he can do it for the people or person that you're believing for. You know, I'm going to share about a, a bit about my testimony today, and then I want to bring a bit of a word and just encourage you. And then I would love to invite you forward. I'd love to open up this altar. I'd love to pray for you if you're going through any of the things that I touch on in my story, or if anyone that you know is going through the things that I touch on in my story, or if you're um, if you get if you feel spoken to as I as I minister the word to you. And I'd love leaders and 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 everybody in this church be prepared. When we open up this altar, I'd love you to come forward and pray for one another. Pray for one another. We all carry the Holy Spirit. We all carry the anointing. And it would just be the most beautiful thing if you would just come and lay hands on your brothers and sisters. But I just want to pray now, Lord, Father God. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to speak into your body, Lord God. I thank you for this opportunity to share what you've done in my life, Lord. We just bring you all the glory. And I pray that you would move through me, Holy Spirit. Move through this place. I thank you, God, for your presence here with us, Holy Spirit. In your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I have, as I said, I've known about God for about as long as I can remember. But I did walk many, many years in the wilderness before discovering how real and amazing God really is. You know, before I realized that he actually had a plan for my life, 
that he loved me and that my life might matter to God and that my life might even matter to somebody else. So I'm going to take you way back, way back to when I was about three years old. My parents separated, and by the time I was five, they had both remarried. And to be perfectly honest, life was stable and it was pleasant. We, bought, we lived really normal lives. We lived in a nice neighborhood. I went to a very regular Kiwi primary school, and then I went on to a well-established high school, and we attended a popular city church. Life carried on in this regular sort of flow. However, when I was about 10 years old, my family made a decision to, to cease going to church. They still held on to faith in God, but we were no longer meeting with our friends and fellowshipping on a Sunday. At the age I was, I didn't understand why we didn't go to church anymore, and I didn't really give it a second thought. I was at an age where I was starting to feel like I was either unbothered about going to church, and most Sundays I actually felt like I was just too cool for church anyway. You know, I hadn't begun discovering God for myself yet, and I didn't see the need for him. As I said, life was good. Life was pretty normal. And sadly, our departure from church just reinforced my thinking that God was not necessary to life, and so began my fall. See, after our departure, our family struggled to ever find another church to be a part of. Subsequently, God became very distant to me. Seldom would the word be read in our house. Christian music was never played in our home. And personal prayer lives were not fostered, other than grace at the dinner table, really. Unintentionally, new idols crept in. Idols like social standing, homes, holidays, easy Sunday mornings, brunches, sleep-ins, sports, recreation, shopping. And for me, it was friends. See, the thing is, we are all looking for something to be a part of. It's how we're wired. You know, I was hungering for community that I was supposed to find in God and in the church. We crave love and we crave attachment. And when it isn't with God, we will seek it and find it in other places. So as the years went on, my friends and how I fit into society became my idols. My parents moved me from my little school which was like a family, to a huge secondary school where I felt like a very inadequate fish out of water. I quickly made friends with a group of girls, but looking back on those years, I can see that we were all cut from a cloth that didn't really fit in with the school we attended. You know, all of my girlfriends, we came from very normal backgrounds, but we had this bent towards being a bit naughty and seeing how far we could push the boundaries. And we seriously pushed those boundaries. We pushed them with boys, we pushed them with attention-seeking, and we pushed them, pushed them with losing ourselves in partying and experimenting with drugs and alcohol. I think personally, I didn't really feel like I fit in anywhere. I was confused about who I was. I certainly didn't fit in with the wealthy, high-flying lives of most of the better-behaved girls I attended school with, yet my behavior with my friends didn't seem to fit in with who I'd been raised to be. And added to this, things at home had started to become different as well. I'd started to feel like the odd one out there too. See, after remarrying at around when I was 9, 10 years old, my parents each had another child with their new spouses. And this was when I was in my early teens, and I suddenly saw them as having their own separate families. I didn't fit into either one. 
So losing myself in a world of perpetual fun was my antidote to all of this confusion. And I carried on the party by leaving school and home early and moving into a flat with my boyfriend. It was at this point that life really started to get out of control. See, when I was 17 years old, I was introduced to a drug called pee or ice and a downward spiral ensued. For six months or so, I somehow managed to keep this habit under control to some degree. I maintained a job. I relied mostly on alcohol to fuel my appetite to party at the weekends. But the thing with this drug, the problem with this drug is it doesn't let you just pick it up now and then for long. And I discovered that I was getting addicted fast. I also discovered that year that I was 12 weeks pregnant. My boyfriend at the time wanted absolutely nothing to do with the situation other than to drop me off to a clinic to deal with the problem alone. You know, I was dropped off. I was led into an interview room at a Green Lane Christian, a Green Lane Christian, Green Lane Medical Center, not Green Lane Christian Center, Green Lane Medical Center, and I was interviewed to see if I was an appropriate candidate to have an abortion. And I would not call that an interview looking back on it now. I would call that strong coercion from two male professionals that, yes, I should be having this abortion at 12 weeks pregnant. So I did. I went through the procedure alone. And my boyfriend picked me up hours later, delivered me home, and left me to recover while he went out to party. I told absolutely nobody other than a few friends and my boyfriend about this event until a decade later. And the effect it had on me, the fear, the shame, the anger, the embarrassment, the sadness, and the remorse sent me to new levels of destruction. I ended up splitting away from that boyfriend shortly after, and with my girlfriends, I fell gleefully into the, into the jaws of Auckland's night scene. In this scene, I pushed it to the limit as I tried to drown the pain. You know, I would be the one who, when everyone had taken their taxis home, I would still be dancing in the early hours and then making my way to some party at some new acquaintance's house or hotel the following day. And then most often it would be back into the city the following night, and so it would continue. You know, I was living back at home, but the reality was that in my perpetual party, I lived like a nomad, either bunking with friends, staying over with men, or in party mode. It was an alternate reality. Yes, it was messy, but at the time, it felt glamorous. See, I was moving with people who had a lot of power on the Auckland scene. And although I'd find myself in some seedy and dangerous places, I was also frequenting VIP rooms, five-star hotel parties, and beautiful homes. And these people, they were all too happy to accommodate my addictions. And although I wasn't proud of what I was doing, I was seriously in too deep at this stage. I figured that at least in this world, I could drown myself, my emotions, and all of my shame. So during this time, I met a man who was doing some incredibly big drug deals. And when he asked if I'd move in with him, I decided that would be a good idea. I mean, a roof over my head and a man who would look after my habit. In my head at that stage, it seemed like a pretty good deal to me. So we were living large, we were making some serious money into the six-figure amounts, but as a result of having unlimited supplies of ice and other drugs, my habit blew up to out-of-control levels. I was pretty much owned by this arrangement, and I was smoking ice to live, I was taking ecstasy for giggles, a drug called G to sleep, and another one called NOS to wake up. 
I was a mess and I was in a dark, dark place. Emotionally, I was completely crippled. I was living with no care for my safety or well-being, and I was perpetually reaching for the next high in order to forget how sad and lonely and scared I really was. At this point, my partner decided to take a trip to Brazil for a couple of weeks to get the drugs out of his system, but he left me at home to complete a $200,000 drug deal under the supervision of a minder. Bear in mind that at this point, I was only 19 years old. It was during this deal that I met my now husband, Trent, who many of you know, quite a few times over the course of a week. And I was drawn to him in the most indescribable way. You know, a long story short, Trent was moving with some of the people who I'd known before meeting the man I was seeing. And through Trent and these people, I was removed or rather rescued from the situation I was in. And Trent and I, we began a relationship together. We fell fast for each other, but we were very, very much still in the world. You know, life wasn't better yet. In fact, within a matter of months with Trent, I fell pregnant with our first daughter. The difference this time was that I had been here before, and I knew that there was no way that I would be able to face the trauma of destroying this baby. And thankfully, despite his own addictions and mess and fear, Trent was already inherently a good man, and he backed my decision and he stood by me. You know, I can tell you right now, especially for you young people, this is no way to start a family. You know, being pregnant so young and naive and trying to figure out how I was going to survive with a baby and manage my addictions was one of the most difficult seasons I have ever faced. You know, I cannot begin to explain what a toll it took on my heart and on my mind. So after Akela was born, Trent and I, we tried to piece together some sort of life as a family. But Trent still especially struggled enormously with addictions for another six months. While I dabbled in and out of drug use, and I battled with our extreme poverty and postnatal depression. We lived in poor conditions on one domestic purpose benefit. But God. See, God was pursuing us. He never, ever stops. And he was setting up divine appointments. He was answering prayer chains that my parents and step-parents had established all over the world. You know, while our parents were spiritually battling for us, Trent and I were trying to create this illusion of things being okay. You know, we'd sort of let our families back into our lives, but we hadn't allowed them into the extent of our mess. Trent would disappear at this stage to use or do business. But one of these times, he went AWOL for a number of days. And at that point, I'd finally had enough and discovered the courage to move out and get help. You know, I remember one day looking at my baby, and I remember God. You know, I remembered all the lunches that we used to have on Sunday after church, and I remembered God's people. You know, I remember God that I'd known so many years ago as a child. And in that moment, I remember realizing that my life mattered to this child and that I wanted so much more for her. And so began the most amazing journey toward God and his incredible plan for our lives. Now, at the same time as I was moving out of our house, Trent, who had gone for a quick use, found himself in the middle of a traumatic kidnapping. Trent was kept and he was tormented for days. And during that kidnapping, he cried out to a God that he didn't even know yet. 
And only a few kilometers away, I prayed the first prayer that I had prayed in years. You know, these prayers during the same week were the catalyst for everything changing. You know, Trent was actually set free minutes later, and I had the courage to seek help and open up to my family. See, it took time, but God was moving. And together we managed to find our way through rehabilitation. We got married. We found ourselves in church. We were baptized. We started discovering who God was. You know, we intentionally made beautiful new friendships and reconnected completely with our families. We had another baby and we saw our daughters flourish. We began paying back enormous debts and building a little home around ourselves. We pressed into God and we pressed into church especially. We made sure we were at a service every single weekend. We were intentional about making friends. We were intentional about being in connect groups. We sought discipleship and we began leading ministries, eventually pastoring and discipling others. You know, I remember thinking in my darkest days, what is the point? I am a complete waste of space on this planet and I am absolutely no good to anybody. Now, I remember incredibly dark and tragic thoughts entering my mind when I was alone. I really and truly thought that I could be so reckless with my life because I didn't matter. In fact, even at the very start of our journey with God, back in the orange ballroom in Newton, when we were new Christians and starting to realize that there was a way out of our mess, Trent and I still didn't realize our potential to really matter. I remember us saying to each other after a service once when we were recently saved, we were driving home and we said, why did we have to go through all of that? You know, why couldn't we just have had one of those nice stories like all the other people in church seem to have? You know, how embarrassing. We were so embarrassed of our story. And I remember us saying to each other, what could God ever do with our rubbish story? What use will we ever be to anybody? But what God has shown us over the years is that he wastes nothing. You know, through our testimonies, through our ability to relate to others, he has touched so many people. You know, together we've seen hundreds of people saved. We've seen hundreds of people thank us for our vulnerability, for our honesty. Hundreds say that through this, through our ability to relate and understand and through sharing God's grace, that they've been willing to surrender and accept God in their lives. You know, we thought we were worthless. We thought that our experiences were useless. We thought we'd disqualified ourselves from being useful or necessary and that we'd just be observers. We thought we were just going to be bystanders, not really part of the family on this Christian journey because of where we'd been, what we'd seen and what we'd done. But no, that wasn't true. You know, God took our lives, he set our paths straight, and he sent us on an assignment. You know, today I don't care how perfect you are. I don't care how bad you messed up last week. I don't mind about the secret you're carrying or the thoughts that you've been having. You know, there is no limit. There is no limit to God's love and power. And the truth is that the very thing you're holding from him is probably the very thing that he is wanting to use. You know, Isaiah 1 verse 18 says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. 
And in John 1, 7, we're assured in the New Testament that this is true when it says so clearly, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, God forgives us everything through our faith in Jesus alone. He cleans us white as snow and he uses every experience that we've been through to touch the lives of others. He takes our lives and he tells us that they matter to the person that he's sending to you. But the thing is, we'll not truly be able to see how much our lives matter until we understand our worth, understand that you are worthy. You know, in order to accept that we're worthy, though, we have to understand who we are and what we can do. So who are we? Who are we, church? We are God's divine creation. You know, God wanted us. He intentionally crafted us as a delight to him. He called us to him and shared his limitless love with us. He created a planet that could sustain us and delight us. He treasures us. You know, we're created in his image and made for relationship with him. Ephesians 1 verse 4 to 5 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption through adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. You know, the word says that when we accept Jesus, we are adopted into his family, which means we are chosen by God, that key word being chosen. You know, people don't adopt children by accident. When you're adopted, it's because someone has chosen you. They want you and you are of great worth to them. You know, the message version of the Bible says that God has settled us, settled on us as the focus of his love. You know, you're worthy of his love, not because of what you have or haven't done. He had already chosen you before you messed up. He had already chosen you before you tried to work your way into his favor. He had already chosen you and given you great worth before you were even born. He predestined us for adoption. He decided to adopt us into his family long, long ago. And the word says what pleasure he took in doing this. You know, you're a person of great worth. You're chosen as a part of God's family. You know, and that's a royal family. The word says that your heavenly father is a king. And if God is the king of kings, and if you are adopted into God's family, that means that you are royalty. You know, a royal priesthood. First Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And you know what? You can't be the child of a king and not be royal. And a few things about royal people. Royal people are free. Royal people are not slaves to society. And this means that you can break out of the normal. You can take a stand for something that matters. You can speak up when things aren't right. You can stand your ground when you face opposition for your faith. You know, as Christians, we are not called to blend in. We are called to stand out. You know, we're chiefs. We're the true rebels of a society that is in bondage. When the world says zig, we say zag. You know, when the world wants to tear each other down, we build each other up. 
When the world says each to their own, just look out for yourself. We don't. We say honor, love and empower one another. When the world says you need to do this, that and the other thing to be accepted, we say you are enough in who you are created to be. See, royal people, they don't lack. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory through Jesus Christ. You know, our God is our creator, which means he knows what you need. He is the king of all creation, which means he has everything that we need. And because of your adoption in, because of who you are adopted by, and because of what God has given us in the Holy Spirit, you do not lack. You know, we live in a world that says that in order to be worthy, you have to have more or be more or prove yourself. You know what? That comes from a shame pride society. We are constantly measuring ourselves against others. Unfortunately, though, the most common yardstick we are using to measure ourselves with is an image projected by public and social media. You know, we're measuring who we are and what we have against a false reality. The only tools that the enemy has to make you feel like you don't matter or that you're not worthy are distraction and deception. You know, that is to make you focused on something that doesn't matter or to tell you lies. You know, the enemy will always tell you that you are not worthy of your royal standing, that you don't measure up, that you don't have enough. But look at it in the natural. A prince or a princess does not stop being a prince or a princess because of what they have or do not have. You know, they don't stop being a prince or a princess because of a bunch of lies that some stranger tells them. It's simply because they are royalty that this is who they are. You are royalty. You are enough. You have enough and you will be provided with enough. You know, another thing about royal people is that they're empowered. You know, you're empowered by a heavenly king to set others free from the dungeons of brokenness into this truth that they are created, that they are loved, that they are adopted, that they are worthy, and that there is hope. You are the ones. You know, you are commissioned. You have a part to play. We are not exclusive. Jesus has told us in Matthew 28, 19, to go and make disciples of all nations. You know, unlike the royal families on this earth, God's family is all-inclusive. He is no minder of gender, race, religion, or way of life. He says that he wants to reach all the people of all of the nations. God wants a multicolored, multi-personality, big, old, crazy, fun family. And I'll tell you what, so do I. You know, he wants everybody to know his message of how precious they are. He has created a pathway for this to be conveyed as well. You know, so often I hear people come to me and say, well, why doesn't God just make a way to speak to people? And I think to myself, he has. You know, in Acts 1.8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, he created us as these incredible beings with capabilities to share his message of love and hope. 
We are the carriers of his message. He has given us the ability to love and he's equipped us with the skills to move from person to person, feet, hands. You know, if you don't have feet and hands, we'll, we have abilities to move. We have abilities to move. He's given us ears to hear his message and he's given us to, a voice to share it on. But even more than that, He's enabled us to live transformed lives by giving us his Holy Spirit, which produces qualities like love, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. You know, he's given us the power to live lives that shine a light to others and to speak confidently of his goodness. We can be confident when we share about Jesus and God's love. You have to know that the Holy Spirit is with you, and he will help you to say the right things at the right time. Luke 12, 12 says the Holy Spirit will give you the words at the moment when you need them. You know, I can't tell you how often this has happened to me when I've been sharing and thinking that I have absolutely no idea how I'm going to talk to this person or into this situation. You know, Holy Spirit is with you, and as you develop your relationship with God, you will become more and more in tune with him. And sometimes it is intimidating to share about God, but when we rely on God, when we understand that we are chosen, that we are sons and daughters of a king, and that God is our father and gives us strength and confidence, we can push past the bully of intimidation and be bold. You know, Philippians 4.13 says that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. But we can also step out boldly and share because there is no failure involved. You know, we are not going to get a black mark against us if people say no. You know, God wants us to share his message. He never expected us to force anybody's hearts or anybody's minds. He never asked us to do a supernatural work in people's hearts. That's his job. But you know what? Even God doesn't force himself. You know, he'll show up, but he wants people to choose out of free will and not force. God really only asked us to love people and help people be aware of him in order for them to think about allowing him in. And when they do discover God, to not abandon them, but to walk with them, to disciple them on the journey. And through this, church, through this, You have the power to transform the life of another person. You know, you can speak from experience. You can share your testimony. And I don't care what it is, whether it's that you were good all your life but felt like there was more, or whether you were living dangerously and encountered God in some crazy wild way. There is somebody out there who needs you specifically to relate to them. You know, you're able to share about the moment when you discovered God. You can talk about how he's moved in your life and the the changes that you have experienced. You can get honest about your walk with God, the highs and the lows. You can relate to others who are going through hard times and you can show God's grace for people who stumble. You can show them them how God picks them right back up again. You know, you can draw on your walk with God in order to build and grow another person who will in turn, I promise you, 
affect and bring hope to another person and another person and another person. And suddenly you see that your life, it really, really matters. You know, it matters to the one that God sends to you and it matters to God. You are a chosen people, church. And I just want us to all just maybe stand to our feet for a moment. I just love us all just to close our eyes. And if you feel comfortable, just lift your hands to God. It's just a sign of submission. And just allow God to move in this moment. Just if God's spoken to you about anything, as I've been speaking, you might have people who are going through some of the things that I touched on in my testimony. You might have people who are dealing with anxiety or depression, addictions. You might have people dealing with suicidal thoughts. I would love for you to come and stand in the gap for them. You know, when we stand and believe for them, that's intercession. And it's really powerful. Also, if you have been away from God or if you haven't been walking with God as you'd like to be, I'd love to give you an opportunity to come forward and just make a commitment, make a recommitment to really just take your place, to take your place in the kingdom. Or if you yourself are going through something that I've spoken about, I'd love to invite you forward. And I'd love us to pray for one another. So this altar is open. Can I encourage you to come? Don't be shy. Don't be scared. You know, God wants to minister to you. God loves you. He loves the people that you're believing for. He loves them. So why don't you just come? God is here. God is always with us.